Well, as a kid, I had, had a dream. And that dream was the same of every child that grew up in Indiana, which was to play in the Indiana. And I still remember the exact moment that dream died. I was at Bob Knight basketball camp at Indiana University. I was in fourth or fifth grade. And at the end of camp, uh, he was there to give us an encouraging word over Bob, Bob Knight. It was actually a discouraging word. And so he, uh, I remember he had us all stand up. So all, all the Silver Hunter campers, we stood up. And then he told us, put your arms over your heads. So we put our, our arms over our head. And, and as, as we're all standing there, he starts screaming at us, grow, get taller. And then he started uh, shouting expletives at, at a group of fourth and fifth graders. And, and, and the intensity grew, but his point was simple. That what he wanted us to understand was that nobody in this room is, is probably tall enough or athletic enough to play in the NBA. So he was trying to get us to, to take school seriously. So as I stood there, Bob Knight screaming curse words at me, my dream of playing in the NBA died. Because as, as he was screaming at me, I thought, Bob Knight's right. I will probably never be taller than six feet, six one. And, and this may surprise you, I do not have the body type of an elite athlete. And so the, the reality of playing the NBA just wasn't going to happen. And yeah, I had another thought as he was screaming curse words at me, which was, no, Bobby Knight, you're wrong. I can do whatever I want. If I want it bad enough, if my desire of my heart is to play in the NBA, I can make it happen. And in that moment, uh, I was experiencing a powerful fulfilling story that we are told again. Be true to yourself. Find what, be, what you most want to do in life. Find what your desires are. What gives you pleasure. And build your life, your identity around those things. And if you deny those desires, you're not, you're not just denying something you want to do. You're denying your very self. You're denying who you are. To be true to yourself, which is who you are, your identity, is bound up in your desires. So just to remind you, what we're doing in this series, we're taking seven weeks to look at seven stories our culture tries to sell us and, and tell us. And what we want to do is look at those stories from the lens of Genesis 1 through 3 and see how the Christian story speaks into and, and, and enlightens the stories that our culture are telling us. But ultimately, what the questions we want to be asking are, what story am I living? What directs the, the direction of my life? And secondly, is it a story worth living? Will it give me life? Will it, will it make me whole? So today, today's story that we want to look at is be true to yourself. And, and we want to do it through the lens of Genesis 1 through 3. But because, because the three points uh, of the sermon kind of build on themselves, uh, I, want to, I want to just start with one and then we'll go from there. So point one, uh, first, you should be true to yourself. And the best example of, of be true to yourself in recent culture is, is Elsa from Frozen. So what she's singing about and let it go. Remember the lyrics. The, the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what <laughs> <it's great. laughs> Just ruined the punchline, man. It's time to see what I can do. Test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong. The rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. <laughs> I should be fired for that. <laughs> what, what's she singing about? What's she singing about? Letting, not, not letting her family control her, restrain her, tell her who she should be, who she should not be, but instead living a life where she looks within, she sees what's right for her, what desires she has within her, and she lives out that identity. And identity free of other people forcing 
be something that she doesn't want to be. That's what betraying yourself means. Our identity should not be found in the culture of what it's telling us to be, but, but by looking within. What, what are my desires? What, who do I want to be? And Genesis 1, I think, gives reasons why we feel this way, why we sing along with Elsa. That I, I want to sort of read these verses again. They're so foundational to the scriptures, but they're foundational to why we have this desire to look within and to discover who we are. Verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now there are two things happening in these verses I don't want us to miss. First is that God was personally involved in creating. The all through Genesis 1 is because God's creating the world. There's this refrain that happens over and over again. Then God said, let there be. Then God said, let there be. Let there be land, let there be sea, let there be fish, let there be animals. Let, then God said, let there be. But when it comes time to make human beings, he says something different. He says, not let there be, but let us and a lot of commentators think, well, this could be a, a reference to the Trinity, that the, the, the person of God is three and one, and so God is speaking within the Godhead, let us make, or maybe he's speaking to the heavenly house. We don't, we don't really know, but what we do know is that the language has changed from a third personal impersonal, let there be, to a second personal personal, let us make. God was personally involved in the creation of human beings. He slows it down. He gets into he wants you to understand he was, he was personally involved in making you. And there's a moment where a psalmist is reflecting on his own creation. And even though he wasn't asked, the psalmist says, For you knit me together in my mother's innermost parts. The psalmist was saying, God, you, you personally created and made me. That's the first thing Genesis 1 is saying. The second is that you are made in the likeness of not, not according to the, the likeness of an animal, not according to its kind of an animal, in the likeness and the image of God. And all through the Bible, this, this word image typically refers to, to an idol. And so most people in that day, if they worship a God, they, they put some gold together, they, they fashion the whole thing, and they, they worship them. They call that it's God. And the Bible expressly forbids this. Actually, this is the number one command in all the Bibles. You know, I don't. You do not worship a false God. You do not make a little God um, to represent the truth. God, and commentators who comment on Genesis 1 point out probably the reason for that isn't that there's something like inherently a little gold being, but God did not want you to look at an inanimate object to see his likeness, because you already have his likeness already in other human beings. Then creating us this way, human beings are to be God's representatives on the earth. If you want to understand what God is like, you look at another human being. And I would say, be true to yourself. Gets, gets at what Genesis 1 is saying. It's a cultural story that unpacks three profound truths. That, for example, if you lived 100 years ago and you were a male, you probably had three choices for what you could be growing One is you could be what your, your father did. If he was a farmer, you could be a farmer. If he was, was a landowner or a politician, you could do the same thing. Basically, you could do what your dad did. Secondly, you could join the military. Or thirdly, if you're religious, you could become a priest, but you, nothing else. 
Yeah. You can just you can just look within and see what am I good at? What what do I feel like I want to do with my life? You could not do that. There was not the freedom available in society. But if you're a female, it's worse because then your entire future was really built on who did you marry? Who did you grow children? If you didn't get married, there were three married children. It's probably very vulnerable society. And the reality is that, that doesn't seem like a reflection of Genesis one, does it? Well, human beings are given the opportunity to to go out into the world and make it a better place to create and to subdue the earth and to, um, to make meaning out of this world. And so I would say we should not ignore our wants. What we sense will make us happy. What we think we want to experience in our, in our life. We should ignore those things. But be true to yourself is not all wrong. And yet, there is a fatal flaw to it. Because if you are only true to will never love yourself. Let me unpack that in two ways. First, is, the reason that's true is, is you don't, we don't actually know what we want. In the cultural story, be true to yourself, assumes that we have these constant set of desires all through our life, but we don't. Right? The thing about my own life, like, when I was 8, 19 years old, I thought if I didn't play in the NBA, I could not have a game in the world. Right? So I had a different desire at 10 than I do at, at 34, and and should, so should, what, what should I base the desires of my life on? The 10-year-old Tim, the 20-year-old Tim, 25-year-old Tim, 30-year-old Right? Our desires change through age. And if, if you're, you're building your identity around your desires, there's no stable you. It's going to change every time you, you grow and your desires change with you. But even further, to further complicate the matter, our, our desires conflict with one another. Let's return to Elspeth from Frozen. Think about how the movie ends. I think the movie's ending actually completely contradicts the, the entire song Let It Go. Because Let It Go, it's about, it's about shedding off your family and, and being who you are from within. But the reality is, when Elsa is who she is from within, she almost kills her sister. And then she has to deny this sort of self-chosen identity and, and to go back to her family to save her sister's life. And so at that moment, her desires are conflicting with one another. Either she can be who she is and who she wants to be and let her desires out, and her sister dies, or she can go back and constrain her freedom and her desire to save her sister. Her desires conflict with one another. So we don't know what we want, and what we want contradicts with things that we want. So if you build your, your identity around your desires, you're going to have very trouble. You're going to spend your years building your identity around your desires, and you will find either maybe destroy someone that you love and care about the most, or, or your, your desires can change. And you're going to have to start your life over again. You're going to have to find a new career. You're going to have to find uh, maybe a new, uh, new life ahead of, of you. If you're only true to yourself, you, you will never love yourself because you don't really know what you want. You don't really know what it means to be true to yourself. So that's first. The second is that our culture ultimately is dictating what, what it is that we want to do. But the saying behind the story, be true to yourself, is essentially saying, I don't need the affirmation of others. I just need to do what I want to do, and, and if I can be true to myself and love myself, then I'll, I'll be able to rest in my identity. So the assumption is that, well, no one's telling me who to be. Um, I'm choosing that for myself, but that doesn't actually work that way. So think of it like this. If you, if you lived in first century Greco-Roman culture, and you had two desires within you, one was to help the poor and vulnerable and the sick, and the other was uh, to be sexually promiscuous. Well, on that day, uh, if you... Um, if you wanted to help the poor and the sick, uh, your culture would have said, don't do that. But there was a feeling was you don't care for the sick. If you care for the sick, the vulnerable, you might get sick, you might die, so don't 
don't do that. It's, it's one of the reasons why we think the church has been used so rapidly is that um, early in church history, there was a plague that swept through Rome, and Christians wanted to stay behind to, to care for people who were sick, so rather than getting sick themselves, they could die. Um, because Romans didn't do that, and the Romans saw Christians doing that, they found the gospel to be a compelling, compelling story. But the point is, if, if you lived in that day and you said, I really want to help sick people, your culture would have said, no, that's not who you are. Don't be that. And you would have, you would have felt the same. But on the other hand, if you were if you're a man and you're married to a woman and you had a desire to sleep with other women, your culture would have said, yes, that is who you are, because in that day it was considered completely fine for someone who was a male um, to, to have someone other than his wife who was um, who he would sleep with. And so, so if that was who you were, right, if that's what you want to do, you say, yes, that is who I am. I am someone who sleeps around, but I am not someone who helps the vulnerable. Well, 2,000 years later, it's the exact opposite. Right? If you have a desire to sleep around um, and to be unfaithful, our culture says, no, that's not who you are. And even there have been guys who have been caught in adultery who say explicitly, that's not who I it's not who I am. That's what our culture says. There's pressure on you. On the other hand, if you want to be, if you want to care for the sick, the vulnerable, then we say, yes, that is a good thing. We say, yes, that is. That, that, this is not who I am, but yes, this is who I am. And here's my point. Is that our our culture is giving us a group through which we interpret our desires. For what we say, yes, that's me, but no, that's not. And unless you, you go outside the grid, really, it's, it's your culture who's telling you who you are, what desires to pursue, what desires to be. So in other words, the culture is, is telling you who you are. Our culture is telling us what desires to pursue and what desires to suppress. And your culture is telling you what desires are you and what desires are not you. So if you're only true to yourself, you'll, you'll never love yourself because you don't really know what you want. We don't really know what Secondly, it's our culture is actually telling us what we want, who we should be. But thirdly, and most importantly, if that's how you build your identity, it will never be lasting affirmation for you. So here's the reality: we all need affirmation to be told you you are good. And that's why being true to yourself is is so compelling. Is that we're told right, don't care what other people think about you, don't care what other people are saying about you. You just need to love yourself. If you love yourself, then you're not who cares about you. And that, that is really important. We should be able to love who we are, love ourselves. But it is not enough for you to say that to yourself. It will never be enough to say that to yourself. You will never find affirmation in you just saying to yourself, I love myself. I'm enough. I'm good. I don't care what other people There's a reason for that. Tim Keller impacts it like this. He says, You can't ultimately say to yourself, I don't care that everyone I know thinks I'm a monster. I love myself. And that would not convince us of our worth, unless we were mentally unsound. We need someone from outside to say we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of the person telling us so, the more powerful that recognition is to our identity and formation. So if we try to authenticate and validate ourselves, we place ourselves in an infinite loop of delusion that will, that will lead either to narcissism or self what Keller is saying is that if you try to, if, if, you're, if your basic life story is, I'm going to be true to myself, I don't care what everyone else thinks, I love myself, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to become, you're going to become narcissistic and prideful. You won't be able to listen to people when they point out the flaws in you that, that, that may be destroying you. Right? You, you won't care what other people think, even if you're destroying them. But I don't think that's most people. As a pastor, I think most people are in the second category. This is the infinite loop of self-worth. Inability for us to love ourselves. But as a pastor, 
This is where I have most of my conversation with others. So when I sit down with others, I, I hear something far, uh, I hear far more often things like, how can I know I'm doing this? I feel like such a failure. I failed. How can I really know this? I wonder if I will ever measure up. I feel like I'm letting everyone around me down. That's, that, that's most of my conversations. You guys can, like, that's where I struggle as well. I wonder every week, who did I, who am I letting down? Who am I not responding to? What, who am I letting down? I wonder every Sunday, who that sermon could be. And the reality is, even if I had certifiable proof that I preached the greatest sermon of all time, like, so good, you tattooed my three main points on your forearms to remember them for the rest of your life, like, even if that all happened, like, the next week I'd be like, well, I'm breaking the like, what's happening? Well, this would be good enough, right? It's just this endless loop, self-loving, the dream color talks about. We're, we're all looking for that affirmation, that, that definitive word, you are loved. Well done. And if you're trying to get that from yourself, you'll never get it. If you're trying to get that from others, you'll never get it. But I, I, listen, I do want you to be true to yourself. But the only way you'll ever be true to yourself is if you are first true to your It's the only way you get out of the endless loop are true to your maker. This is a better story than your story. For a few reasons. The first thing, again, in, in a story where you have a maker personally made you, your, your desires are given context. I bet all of us at some point would say, you know, there, there's a moment in my life I, I had a desire to do something, I did it, and it, and it hurt me. It prevented me from being the person I wanted to become. In other words, like, self-denying our desires are central to our Identity, that runs counter to a culture that says, no, you, if you deny your my desire, that's going to hurt yourself. That's going to be harmful to, to who you are. But, but the reality is we all have stories and experiences where we gave into a desire and it hurt us. Or there was a study in the 1960s done uh, in Stanford University where um, they, they put kids in a room with a marshmallow and they told the, the kid, if you, if you sit here and don't eat that marshmallow for 10 minutes, I will come back in and give you the second one. Right, so then they just videotaped this kid like wrestling with this epic life decision. Do I eat this marshmallow now or do I wait for the second one? And what was amazing about the study is they found kids who were able to deny those desires and wait on average had better outcomes in life, more successful than those who just gave in. But the denying our desires are central to flourishing as a human being. And that raises a question. What, den- what desires was in? Desires are we supposed to deny? Which ones should we embrace? Is your culture going to answer that question for you? Are they going to give you the grade of you? They're going to tell you what desires are good and what desires are bad. But that's the whole the whole beauty of being true to yourself is that the culture isn't telling you who you should, should be. Or are you going to answer that question for yourself? Regardless, how do you, how do you know what desires you have now will lead to your how do you know what desires that you gave into now could ruin you versus could lead to your joy and to your peace? You don't, you don't know. And so the Christian story is true. God was personally involved in creating it. It means he knows the deepest longings of your hearts better than you do. He knows better how you can become a true self, the unique person he creates you better than you do. And he wants you to become that true. So, and so that's why he's revealed himself 
to you. It's why he's revealed us to, uh, to him, or why he's revealed himself through his scriptures, through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his spirit, which illuminates who Jesus Christ is to us. To give our desires confidence. To, to know this thing will not lead to flourishing, but this thing will. So the only way that you can be true to your, yourself is to be true to Jesus. He can guide you through life and desires. You don't know where he'll lead. The second, the second reason you can be true to your maker is to find the truth about this. That, that in the Christian story, your identity is received, it's not achieved. Well, let's ask the question I've been asking. How do you know that you're good? That you are lovable? Is it because you're smart? Because you advanced well in your career, you're successful? Is it because your kids have turned out the way that you wanted? It's because you're, you're funny. It's because other people like you. And if you're living in the story, be true to yourself. You have to earn your identity. And that question, how do you know you are good, will never have an answer that will ever satisfy you. Because you will have to keep earning it off, keep working off, keep performing for others and for yourself. But if you live in the gospel story, the Christian story, you can answer that question with specificity. Now, how can I say with confidence every, every human being in this room is good? Because Jesus did Every person in this room is made in God's image, made personally by God, which means no matter the mistakes that you make in your life, no matter the failures you endure in this life, no matter the abuse that's done to you, the trauma that you have suffered, nothing can change this bedrock truth about humanity. You are made in the image of an eternal God, and you can never lose that. That can never be taken from you. No matter what you do in your life, you will still be made in the image and likeness of God. And that's why the Christian story is story worth living because your identity is received. It's not achieved. You don't have to earn that. You can't earn that. It was given to you at your birth. So your identity is received. It's not achieved. Your desires will be confidence. But thirdly and most important, you, in the Christian story, you can know that you're loved. And the things I hear so often is, as a pastor, how can I know that I'm good? I feel like a failure. I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I'm not letting people around me down. I feel like I'm not doing things I need to be doing. They, they, ultimately, there's no answer in the stories of those things to be true to yourself. You there is no answer. Because in that story, the only hope you have is you'll start performing better. You'll start living a better life. You'll start meeting other people's expectations. You'll start meeting your own expectations. And that life is exhausting. It is not a story that's worth living. And when you always have to make the grade, when you always have to make uh, win at the game, when you always have to make the right decision, when you have to get the job, when you have kids have to turn out in a certain Way. In order to love yourself, those things have to happen. That is a never-ending work. And the moment you, you feel like you've done one of those things, it all starts over the next day. And you will never feel truly loved. You will never feel truly heard if you try to live out that story. But there is a story worth living, the gospel story. And I think the gospel story may best be summed up in 1 John 1. John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The gospel story offers you two things. First is forgiveness. So when we look in the mirror and we, we think that person isn't performing, that person's letting other people down, that person isn't who they should be, what, what you're feeling in that moment is you need to be reminded that you are not who you are and supposed to be. It's true, it's why you and yet in the gospel, God offers forgiveness for every thing that makes you who you are supposed to be. Everything that's brought you shame, everything that you've done wrong, everything that's brought you shame, 
be a whole person. The only way back is not not through better performance, not through not through identity creation, not through living up to the expectations of ourselves and people are without our one identity in Christ is that Jesus bled for us. We couldn't earn it. 